In the talk with you this afternoon, I would like to speak to you about the composition, understand the word? Composition of a human being. Just would like to take a short step back in time, in this case to the time of uh, uh, the Buddha, there. The word human being, in a way, is a shorthand for that which kind of makes us up. There are uh, a variety of ways that we might uh, do that. So, uh, the Buddha made reference to five uh, primary uh, areas. I want to explore these with you this afternoon and the important thing with this is the dynamic or the friction of the I, of the me, of the self and possibly, hopefully um, the, the sense of that and your relationship to these areas will get clear as we go along with no guarantee so the five there are five areas that make up a human being in this analysis one clearly and obviously is the body here is this organic life formed of elements born out of the uh, nature which is experienced as warmth and cold and comfort and pain it's experienced as the various parts of the body its experience as uh, an expression of the nature and of course its aliveness is due to the presence of consciousness which I'll touch upon in a moment. The second important area of our uh, life is the feeling life and as much as you and I are human beings we are also human feelings and feelings have an extraordinary influence in every area of our life uh, uh, obviously so a person she or he looking into themselves in a variety of ways will look at what is my relationship to the body and to be really clear about that in a variety of ways what is my relationship to my feeling life that includes the vast range of pleasant feelings, the vast range of unpleasant and painful re feelings and those in between. And the third out of the five is perception. And with perception it means as an example, right now I'm sitting here and there is a perception of a group of people in front of me. There is a perception of the sound uh, of my voice, the, the sound from the cooling system and uh, much more of course. So we perceive, there is a perception of, but it is important that with the perception of and the way we look at something that, and the way we interpret something to remember this is the way it is being perceived now. It's not that there is some 
absolute status in the perception. This is the way it's being perceived now. And we know that there are times the way we perceive ourselves can be in one way one day, or even in one minute, or in one meditation. And next day, or next minute, or meditation, we can be perceiving in another way. So, the bodily life, the feeling life, the perceptions. And the fourth, um, the Pali word is samkara. Sam uh, means um, coming together, and kara means activity. So, it generally refers to various formations, both formations of states of mind and formations as well of speech would be included in this, uh, formations that the body takes, the formations of what we write, which comes out of our arm, uh, etc. And of course, a very, very common one for all of us, which is important for us, is what we think that formation the formation of the word or the idea or the picture or the concept which is arising in our mind and the fifth one is consciousness and just to go to the uh, Pali here for a moment with you with consciousness it's vijnana so and in this case the V separates from what I mean by that when there is consciousness in this case let's say Christopher is being conscious of you uh, there is consciousness and to the consciousness you can say ah what is coming is the presentation of the forms of human being in the room when I am con- this is the point when I am conscious of one thing or two or three things there I am not conscious of something else it has to be I'm conscious of this I'm conscious of writing I may not be conscious of somebody else in the room I'm conscious of the flower but I'm not conscious of what else is happening around so consciousness to be <coughs> keeps landing on something there and of course in this dream world, in the sleep world sometimes consciousness is very very quiet there's hardly any movement, it's very very still inside, we're fast asleep or sometimes consciousness is touching samkaras, meaning it is touching some formations, we might call them dreams we might call it energies which are going on in the sleep so a human being as we make this journey through the field of existence we have an ongoing interest body every day an ongoing interest in what we feel every day an ongoing interest in what we perceive what we look at what we hear every day we have an ongoing interest in the formations the states of mind and one of them being our thoughts and we have an interest every day of what we are conscious of what we notice what we see what we observe this is there what we are mindful of what we uh, meditate on what we concentrate on and so the self you see what following okay you're still with the 
these things are not so easy to follow but hang in or not <laughs> that what we see as a hum- human being is an ongoing experience or relationship to body, feelings, perceptions, states of mind, backstroke, thoughts and consciousness, being conscious, being mindful, observing, seeing. And these cannot separate, be separated one from the other. I can't take out feelings and leave behind the body or the perceptions. I can't take the body out and not have the mind and have consciousness. So there's a dynamic going on here and our life, our peace of mind, our wisdom, our happiness and our suffering and our issues is dependent on the dynamic and the interconnection of what's going on with these five. It would be lovely if the world didn't keep interfering and impacting on these five but we are creatures we are creatures of the earth we breathe so we draw the air in from the environment we feel the temperature the presence of others the the earth beneath us and we feel all that goes on in the dynamics it's called society it's called Uh, politics, it's called the corporate world, it's called education, it's called family, it's called the neighbours. It would be lovely if we could just get on with our own stuff in in these five areas and just not let the world impact upon us. No way. And if you forget, just take a look in the mirror at the ageing process that the world is impacting we're aging because the world is impacting the nature, the elements are touching upon us if you look, at, look, out, look outside and I, I'm just writing an essay at the moment on trees you know, trees have an incredibly close relationship to uh, human beings I mean, and as, as an old forest monk uh, uh, my, my, uh, myself and some rather beautiful analogies as, uh, as well. When one looks at the tree and sees the bark, you know the bark, the outer edge of the tree, then sometimes you look at the tree and you can see the bark is quite rough. And we say, whoa, this is an old tree. And then sometimes we see a young tree and the young trees see just how smooth the bark is the trees in the rain gathers the rain water and it gathers it like a hundred gallons of it in a day it can gather it around the roots and then the tree in the winter months and this is in Europe sends up the water through the trunk through the branches to nourish the leaves right to the top and it provides a canopy uh, at the top. And when the trees get older, the water energy can't move up through the body through to the top of the tree so easily. And it's the same for humans. Hence the white hair. 
Hence we start going grey. Hence uh, we start losing our hair or whatever it might be. There, The tree, they drop many seeds. Some of us have dropped seeds as, uh, as well. Uh, the one I know best is 37 years old. who is my daughter. So the tree... <laughs> And she has a few seeds. She's, the father is always talk, expressing concern about overpopulation. And my daughter, a single mum, has got four kids. You know, it kind of balances out. But anyway. And the, the, the seed is dropped. The mother-father tree, it has a canopy. So the tree, when the seed it can grow and it's protected from the wind and it's protected from the heat of the sun so that the young tree can grow under the protection of the parent tree we have a lot in common with the trees oh we have a lot in common and the tradition the, uh, uh, the Buddhist tradition you know, has had um, an ongoing love affair with the trees yeah. uh, living in the forest practicing in the forest spending time uh, in, in, the, in the forest and really appreciating as well as the, the, the support when we go outside where are we? we feel to be under, in the shade the tree is giving us uh, uh, su- uh, support the creatures live in the, in the, in the trees it's an extraordinary world there so sometimes we look at the outer world there, just taking the tree as one small uh, demonstration, and we look at ourselves. We there's the sangha of the trees, and here's the sangha of the men and uh, women here, and in our sangha as well. Who we are adults? Who are we giving support to in our life? Who are we giving shelter to? Who can come to us in our life and take some refuge and, and receive some protection? So we need sometimes the inspiration of the natural world, in this case the trees, to remind us of, as adults of the support that we can give. And when the young trees are not, support, not supported, they haven't got that shade and their protection, those young trees do not live very long. They don't have the life expectancy. But when there is real support for those trees, which the parent trees uh, can offer, those trees can live four or five hundred years. As we know with the olive trees, they are one thousand years old or longer. We have a tree, a yew tree, in the cemetery near my home, fifteen hundred years old. And some of these trees, their nature is to go tall and upright. And there are other trees, like we see here, because of the environment, they grow outwardly and in different, di- different directions. So do human beings. There's as much diversity amongst human beings as there is amongst the trees, and amongst the trees as there is uh, amongst us there. And then we want to look, and the important thing is here. What is the relationship which one has with the body with the feelings with the perceptions with the thoughts as well as mind states and with consciousness what is the relationship 
in each one of those areas. In our meditations here, with the postures that we engage in, in fact quite a lot of emphasis is given on being conscious. We are conscious primarily over the days on on the specific. I am conscious of being with the breath. I am conscious of the feet having touch with the ground. And that's the primary interest. And this interest contributes to making us calm and steady. But we know there are other influences within and without which affect us, obviously. There. Though we're interested in consciousness being steady on its object, called, say, a part of the body, or the whole body, or the feet with the ground, still the being, like the wind on the trees, the inner life is still moving, it's still kind of breathing, and the outcome of that is the sense of I, sense of me, will, it's the Buddhist words here, will land upon one of those five. It, the, the sense of I will land on one of those. It might land on I am sitting here. It might land on I am feeling this. I am looking, that's perceiving that. I am thinking about this. I am mindful, I am conscious of that. This is our life. Our life is connected with all of this and we are concerned about what touches us, what affects us, and when something affects us, where does the sense of I then go? Does it go onto the body? Does it go onto the feelings, onto the perceptions, onto the thoughts, uh, onto consciousness? What happens to us when we are affected. And we want to be so clear with ourselves that we, to know ourselves is to know ourselves well enough where are the strengths, doesn't have to be any ego in this, what are the strengths we have as a human being and equally to know where the weak points are, where we're vulnerable. One person says something um, about us, uh, there. And sometimes we can hear it well. One of the monks hadn't seen me for about um, 20 years. And he said, Gosh, I just saw Christopher. I haven't seen him for around 20 years. My God, he's proof of the aging process. One tries not to take it too personally. <laughs> you get the point. Uh, there. So sometimes a, a person makes some comment about us physically how's the response to that sometimes we are making a comment about ourselves physically there we want to notice what is that comment about ourselves physically is it something we keep repeating there's no obvious human being who is perfect physically it is obvious and even those who we are told are perfect because they're appearing on the 
front page of Cosmopolitan or something like that. Uh, there, we just—if we know anything, we should—we ought to know that those pictures we see has got nothing to do with the reality of the person. It's got more to do with the reality of Photoshop and uh, all the touching up and all the da, 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 to make people look beautiful, which unfortunately makes others of us feel less beautiful because we've got the idealization. And when we feel less beautiful, we don't feel so happy. Don't feel so happy. And when we don't feel so happy, we spend more, and we tell, and we are told, "Oh, there's an anti-aging cream," and we buy a bucket of it. What a market we live in! We feel bad, so we spend. My the nurse at home, there went to see uh, uh, her, and she said to me, "She'd been." A nurse for 30 years. And sometimes we, you know, there's those moments when somebody says something to us and it's a really valid point, really good point. She said, in 30 years now, she said, everybody, I have no, everybody has a weak point in it. Everyone. I said, wow, that's interesting. She said, that's my experience over 30 years. Everybody has a weak point in it. And then, of course, then she asked, and Christopher, what's yours? Mm. Mm. And then, some years ago, um, probably through each, uh, partly the hereditary factor, um, had huge pains, and it was the gallbladder. And uh, with, uh, I think... They're still, they're still there. We, we're, we're kind of coexisting together in a certain... <laughs> long, they're happy as long as they get lots of better from me, kindness. And they... <clears throat> and there are 20... It took some x-rays. There are 22 of them. And if I may say, rather, maybe smile. I had a rather... I had to make a flight, actually, from London to Brisbane. And my darling mother, now passed from this world, she was... Uh, at that time, I think, how old? Maybe in her mid-80s or, or, or so. And she very kindly came to the airport. And when I arrived there, I said, God, I've got these incredible pains. I didn't know what it was at the time. I need to go to A&D, Accident and Emergency, to check out. Yeah, I was really feeling... So there's my little old 86-year-old mother and me waiting in the hall, in the hospital to get checked out what's going on because I could hardly breathe with this pain that was there and so lots of people in there with their cuts and their wounds and their sicknesses and their fevers you know and their car crashes and all the other stuff and then the, the nurse said um, uh, Christopher Titmus and the nurse came over and uh, said, oh, uh, Mr. Titmus, um, please come with us. We can now uh, see you. And um, you can bring your wife with you. <laughs> <laughs> and my, my mum, this old lady, 86 years of age, she said, that's not my husband. <laughs> with a big smile, that's my son. <laughs> so... I felt even worse <laughs> and she was thrilled with the same message <laughs> and a year before she died she said do you know 
the worst thing is about being 93. She was 90, nearly just about 95. You know what the worst thing is about being 93 years of age? I said, no. She said, knowing that you've got a 70-year-old son. <laughs> If that's all you've got to complain about, I mean... Oh dear, oh dear, oh dear. So sometimes, as I say, we look at ourselves there, just with, with the physical for the moment uh, uh, there. And we need not detachment, it's not in the Buddha's teachings, there's no word of detachment in the Buddhist uh, 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 text. But what he is concerned with is the tendency to inflame a situation. And so thinking and projections and reactions exaggerate a situation and when we exaggerate or inflame it we can start to get unhappy about we can start to feel <coughs> negative or depressed or confused about is there any aspect of our physical life where we find ourselves inflaming it reacting against it could that be a part of parts of parts of the body uh, 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 there and I remember when I was, uh, was young felt some concern um, about um, uh, the size of my nose you see it seemed enormously big it was like a ski slope etc there uh, and then I was then I was born with one ear stuck to the side of my head and, 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 and the other like a foghorn sticking out somewhere uh, there And you think, well, I didn't ask to look like this, etc. It's, it's the real proof of this is not me, this is not myself, one, this is not who I am. I'm really grateful for those teachings. <laughs> I mean, it's really good to know that this is not me, this is not myself. Makes one feel much happier. <laughs> so sometimes we look at the body and uh, there. But we might, might be vulnerable. It may be, as I say, parts of the body. That's one area for people, and that's a huge industry, the cosmetic industry, surgery industry. It may, it may be our height, it may be our size, it may be our uh, gender, uh, it, 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 it may be the way we move, and many, many other things. We want to be extraordinarily mindful and clear with this extraordinary event of the physical life. Can I have an ongoing relationship with life which I am clear and comfortable with this event clear and comfortable with it as it is uh, there with all the good support that one can offer and what I mean by that it's movement and exercise what I mean by that is, is a skillful and wise uh, diet healthy postures Uh, there and just being mindful and taking care of and then the relationship is there but it's still with the clarity this, that is the body is an expression of organic sorry, an expression of organic nature it is a formation out of the nature it comes because of dynamics obviously um, sperm and seed mother and father um, other factors as well and we need to remember this 
Instead of just thinking, this is me, this is who I am, can I just remember, there is a relationship, but it's the physical event, it's the organic expression. And then we can feel much more comfortable with it. In the meditations, when working with the body, and breath and body, and the feeling connection here, which is important, I hear, just actually meeting with a person today, it is a common voice and I think it's a little bit social and it transfers into the, the meditator and what I mean by that is there is some kind of view and opinion, perception there, that to achieve anything or to develop as a human being I really, I need a lot of discipline I have to put in a, a lot of effort, I've got to keep on trying, I've really got to push myself, and if I don't try, if I don't have the discipline, if I don't push myself, I won't get anywhere. And this is pumped into us from childhood, exams and uh, uh, all of that. And what happens for some of the meditators, that in the willpower and pushing hard, it generates a certain kind of feeling or sensation of intensity. And the mind, that feeling sensation, the mind very easily identifies with this intensity. And that can show itself in a determination. I am going to sit one hour or two hours, make strong determination and I'm not going to, uh, to move. Yeah. Well, you still won't get a certificate at the end. Uh, there. And then the person, in the intensity of pushing hard on themselves, one is, it could bring some damage to the body, for sure. Sometimes people do some damage to their knees or to their back or uh, whatever. Uh, there. But the other, that sometimes the perception that's the view with some thought that goes with it, is that if I push myself hard enough through this pain that I'm experiencing, if I really work hard and get to, I'll get to the other side of this pain, and then there'll be some great Garden of Eden or some great liberation or God will be waiting for me or something. Or, no, it won't. And that pressure... And then we hear or read, I hope you don't hear or read these stories, of people who have done intense practice and they did this and they did that and then we get impressed and then we say to ourselves, back to the perception, oh, I'm not really a serious meditator because I haven't broken my knees yet. Or, <laughs> I haven't had a big meltdown during the morning period. Uh, and sometimes we get the idea its intensity and the intensity is such a strong sensation there we begin to think intensity means going deeper it actually the intensity can be the block to going deep it can get in the way when so identified with the intensity and where there is intensity it very easily lends itself to judgments about others 
oh, I'm a really serious practitioner, I'm sitting, look, they ca- I come into the meditation hall early, and I stay out, and they walk out, they're all a bunch of wimps, and I, I'm the only serious meditator here. So the intensity easily generates views about other people. The teachings are about deep calm and finding deep insight. We have to be willing to minimize or reduce this intensity that can be there, find ways and means through the practices to really feel the calmness. It will not feel so dramatic. It will not feel so intense, uh, obviously. It will take some trust. And the mindfulness of breathing, the being with the body, the real commitment to the whole of the day, and organically, naturally, the being and the consciousness itself will naturally go deeper. And we'll sense and we will experience a greater sense of harmony and well-being and it will feel quietly deeper it doesn't feel dramatic this feels quietly deeper and sometimes when it is quietly deeper the with the relaxation that goes with it there will be more moments which are precious of an extraordinary sense of silence and stillness It's not just, if we take the sitting of really being with willpower, silent through all the sitting uh, there, which can happen. But more more importantly is, if in our meditations, taking sitting for example, of a few moments of impeccable stillness, impeccable silence of the being, nothing whatsoever moves. It might be just for a few moments in the general quietness and in the general stillness and silence, but a few moments in the sitting period of impeccable stillness and just letting the whole being rest with it. And that may touch deeper. In the touching of what is deeper uh, there, it may bring out of us that which is difficult and uncomfortable. Those hidden corners of our heart and mind, those areas of our inner life which we have forgotten or neglected or suppressed or rejected or simply haven't resolved. One can find, and meditators report this very, very regularly, there can be perhaps a lovely sitting period or a lovely walking or a lovely morning and afternoon and one really feels finally after a day or two of struggle and really settling into presence to being here there is some quality might just be for a single sitting uh, or walking of um, mindfulness and concentration wow I'm really here and then to one's surprise, shock, horror, the next day a tsunami is running through. And we think, wow, I was so mindful yesterday, I was so calm and clear, I 
who really thought, thought I was just nearly totally enlightened. I felt so close. Um, and today it's chaos. And I don't want to be here. I can't meditate any longer. I, I'm not sure if I've got a nose to, for breathing through or whatever it might, it might be. What's hard to recognize that quite often for some people in the calm and in the depth it's giving the opportunity for the difficult, the dark, the unresolved to surface. It allows it to come through. It's not a sign, oh my meditation is falling apart. It's an indication actually, it's actually allowing release. It's no longer being hidden. It's no longer being avoided or denied. And sometimes there is that movement. Sometimes, and many times, meditators, you know, I'll say, okay, this is what's happening. I'm experiencing anxiety. I'm feeling a lot of stress. There's fears going on from me. I'm having a lot of self-doubt. There's a wave of it. It's hard to deal uh, with. And sometimes we do need the good wisdom and the good counsel of the teachers. Sometimes it, it is too close to us. We are struggling. So, so then there are five teachers and one connects with the teacher who will be well with us, have some space around the situation and may offer ways and means and listen. Say, okay, and then the person gets back into the rhythm once again there. No matter how deep the suffering it's never as deep as liberation. No matter how deep the suffering, it's never as deep as a profound insight or deep spiritual realizations. That is always much deeper. Every time it's much, much deeper. So we may say, yes, my suffering, I'm experiencing some deep suffering, and it is deep. But it's not as deep as that which is liberating. <coughs> it can be as well with our... Uh, the depth that comes that sometimes in the flow of things some natural calm and natural happiness and joy arises it could be that you are outside as an example and there's a joy of just appreciating the commitment and with all of us uh, 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 here it's probably like with the two groups and uh, the beloved staff and uh, teachers, nine of us are teachers here. So there's around 120 of us uh, around the place. And sometimes we, I find for myself too, just look around and it's just a kind of spontaneous recognition of, and appreciation of the commitment and the dedication and the willingness of you to take time out from the daily life and one feels a certain openness and expansiveness and, uh, and gratitude for, for Tovena, for what is available here and for the nature, teachings and practices. In those times, it's not necessary to rush back in to try to get back in touch with the breath or the body. When something warm and deep and loving and uh, connected comes out of our being sometimes spontaneously just feel it <laughs> goodness me 
said one of the sweetest things in life to feel, just feel it, you know, to hell with all this meditation technique. Just, <laughs> I, I do apologize. <laughs> just feel it. Feel this. This is life. And, and, and let that precious feeling uh, flow uh, in the being. Let, let that come out of the deep of the, be, uh, uh, of, of the being. And s- sometimes as well, if the eye lands upon and holds onto, this is the important thing. So it may land on the body, as I mentioned to you, it may land on the feelings or the perceptions. And the eye is a kind of odd phenomenon of a, of a kind of friction. Uh, sometimes the friction, the agitated, angry friction, and sometimes it's very soft and gentle. What is important that, let's say, I am, f- I am feeling happy. Let's say, wow! I just feel a real sense of expansiveness. I'm sitting in the hall here. My heart opens out to everybody else in the hall as a meditator, and a real sense of connection and sharing and acknowledgement. You know, some of you are going through some major issues, uh, and the others are really. Touching on some precious places it's in, uh, inside of you, all that is going on, and while engaged with all that which is going uh, 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 on there, that expansiveness is keeping it receptive and open. This is the point. If the eye is holding on to it there will be the desire to get back to it. Understand? If I was holding on, uh, I had a really lovely expansive sense, really had a deep meditation, I really had a, an important insight come. It's lovely and beautiful. But the holding on to it is the problem. And with the holding uh, on to it, the holding actually gets in the way of the renewal of it of the freedom for it to emerge again. That's the problem with the holding uh, there. And sometimes, uh, some people on the retreat have said to me, you know, Christopher, I was on a retreat days, weeks, months, years ago, and I had this incredibly profound, all the words, life-changing, fundamental changing, cosmic connection, enlightenment, nirvana, liberation, God and the chakras were spinning madly and the <laughs> kundalini was rising and la da da and I haven't been able to get it back. <laughs> and sometimes people have got an image of what happened days, weeks, months ago in one of their meditations are holding on to it and there is comparing which is going on so no experience could compare with that one there Uh, not very often time to time I've said to such a person it's a pity you had that experience it's a shadow over your life so we love experience there is much to be discovered. It's a teaching about experience. We stay true to it. We explore what it means uh, there. But we need 
lovely words of the Buddha here, mindfulness to the extent necessary so that we can experience without clinging on to. So that we can experience without holding on to. And when it's experienced without holding on to, there is not a lot of substance in the I and my. We might use the language, you might come to us as the teachers and say, oh, normal language, oh, while I was sitting, I had this experience of a challenge, I had this experience of joy, I had this insight, something's really come clear to me uh, there. And it's perfectly fine, obviously, to use the, the language of the I. Sometimes, however, the I can drop out of the language. And it can happen that sometimes the perception is looking in a, another way, and the perception is saying, there is body which is feeling pain. There is body which is calm and still. There are these expansive feelings which are arising. There is this intensity now about the practice, whatever it might be. There are these perceptions. So sometimes the I word drops out of the consciousness and sometimes we just say, this is what's happening, this is what's taking place, which is fine. But we also have the freedom, an important one, to say, oh, I am experiencing this with the body, I am experiencing these feelings there. It, the use of the eye doesn't have to be a problem. It's not, we're not teaching negation of the eye. It's not an ideology which says, there is no eye. Oh, yes, there is. The eye arises, it's a phenomenon which is uh, 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 dependently uh, arising uh, there and <coughs> quite easily, naturally can be attributed I am feeling, I am thinking, etc. Et it's a problem through such repetition the eye gets into ego, it gets into holding and identifying with and grasping onto and life is then difficult <coughs> so just finally uh, with you here worth giving some reflection some attention how is your relationship to the body where, where are the appreciations for you where are the challenges for you How's your relationship to your feeling life there? Where's the appreciations for you? Which kind of feelings are most challenging for you to deal with and work with? With your perceptions. Where are the perceptions where it's revealing something, it's quite clear, it's unproblematic? Are there perceptions which you have of a situation where right with that perception you're just seeing something problematic? If so, what is another way to look at that situation and not give it so much inflammation, make such a problem out of it? Is there another way to look at it? With your thoughts, 
which are uh, uh, arising there. What do you think about most? Do you think about the past most? Do you think about the future? Do you think about philosophical, metaphysical ideas? Do you just think and think? Or is there some thought which has some clarity to it? Some thought which is helpful and supportive for you? And finally, um, another one which arises regularly, of course, is with consciousness. How's your relationship to mindfulness, to being conscious, to meditating, to being aware, to seeing? Uh, And so, if we bring all, take an interest in all those uh, five areas, it might be that we recognize perhaps one or two of them just need that little extra attention, a little bit more interest in our life. So we have a good balanced relationship with uh, all five. For a very simple reason, it's your life. It's your life. It's my life. The physical life, the feeling life, the perception life, the state of mind, thought life, and uh, the, 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 the consciousness. And those five uh, areas, uh, what we as human beings can explore, can find some insight and wisdom uh, with, which is of benefit for us, and of course, is of benefit for others as well. Let's have our quiet minute, shall we? Thank you. beings explore the compositions of our life. May all beings be aware of the unfolding process of our existence. May all beings live with love and liberation. <coughs> 